0: Good evening and welcome to Hope Lower Town. Glad you're able to make it, make it out on this beautiful weekend. Um, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian and pastor here. And uh, could you just turn me down just a hair? A little feedback coming back. Thanks. Um, uh, let's see. I've got a couple, couple announcements going on. Um, on Tuesday, it's National Night Out. Um, I would encourage you to. Get out, meet your neighbors, do that kind of thing, hang out. There is um, a, a big kind of cookout, grill out that's just right out here in this uh, in this park right here, and uh, people from this community and the neighbors just from right next door and that kind of thing, we will come out and eat. Um, traditionally, we've kind of helped as a church, First Baptist with cleanup and setup, and if you're able to do that, that'd be great if you can help out. Um, I'll be there the whole night. Um, and then uh, I wouldn't mind even just walking down to Mears Park and just uh, talking with some people and that kind of thing. So if you're able, if you don't have your own kind of neighborhood parties, feel free to come out to that. We'd love to, love to have you. Um, uh, again, on August 25th for us, uh, we're going to be switching to the morning. And um, just as a result of being in the morning, and I know different things are going to happen, and we're going to have more uh, families. It's just going to be a lot more convenient for younger kids. Um, so if you're like, man, changing baby diapers is not my thing, but teaching Sunday school to little kids, that I can do um we would love to have you uh possibly join our team and uh it wouldn't be the more people that that we have the the less you have to do it not that you like don't want to do it that's not what I meant but uh we can get on a rotation that kind of thing so um Amber Schmidt if you don't know her she's right here in the front her husband Mark uh if you're interested in that just talk to her um or email her I believe her email is in the back of the the handout as well um so we can do that and then uh and then what's that the cookout? I don't... Oh, oh, we start at 8.45, and then we'll be done at 10 o'clock. So 8.45 to 10, 10 o'clock. Um, nice nice and short. So it'll be a little cooler in here, I'm assuming, in the mornings. Um, and then uh, uh, Annabelle actually told me that Rosie um, right now is, is actually very sick. Uh, just her diabetes jumped up. And so I actually wouldn't mind just praying for her right now. If you know her, she usually sits right up here with Rosie and her with uh, Annabelle. So... Let's just pray for, for Rosie and, and, um, and for healing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, our dear sister, uh, Rosie. It's just been a joy to get to know her uh, over the last few years and uh, smiling face and clapping hands. And, and uh, just thank you for her. You just got to just pray for healing uh, with, with Rosie right now. I just pray that uh, whatever is going on in her body with the diabetes and, and things going on, um, that you would just be with her, be with her son uh, who's watching her right now, that you would just um, help him to give her the proper care. Uh, that she needs, that she would be able to uh, make a full recovery from this and that we would see her again uh, soon. So God, we, we thank you, we praise you uh, for being our great physician and uh, just pray uh, all these things in your name. Amen. Okay, uh, again, we've been in the series of, hey, I have a question. I think this is week seven. I don't really remember. Um, this says five weeks ago. That's incorrect. I've been using the same slide. I forgot to change that one. So six weeks ago, so this is week seven. Uh, we talked in this one, right, is the Bible Reliable Guide for My Life. My life. And so all the topics that we've been looking at, um, if, it's, if, it, if it wasn't there, um, if, we, if we can't clearly see this in Scripture, and if, it, if, if the Bible isn't actually teaching this, then how can we know it's true? Um, and so, I, yes, the Bible is a reliable guide. And so, therefore, other things that we study and look at, um, I believe is true and trustworthy and good. Um, and uh, so this week is going to be, why would God punish anyone if God is love? I'm um, not really going to be talking a whole lot about heaven and hell. Um, I'm not going to be looking at what's heaven going to be like or what's hell going to be like. I think that's a different question. And I don't think that's really what this question is that we fielded from uh, one of you, um, is that why would God punish anyone if God is love? Um, and I, I forgot, I need to make a, uh, an apology for last week. If you were here, I, I misspoke. Um, I, I wasn't sure if I did. Angela thought I might have, but she wasn't really sure. And I went back online and I totally misspoke. Last week, so I want to clarify something I was talking about. If you weren't here, it's okay. But we're just talking about women uh, in in the church and their role in the church, and that kind of thing. And I had mentioned that the church here, First Baptist, that we rent from, they are uh, in the category of egalitarian. And I said, I would much rather partner in ministry with people who are traditional, which means like women can't do anything. And that's not what I meant. I meant I would much rather partner with the church, like an egalitarian church that we rent from, that's what I meant just want to clarify that Um, so if you heard me say exactly what I said it's not what I meant uh, at all I think you probably figured it out in context I know I do that a lot switch names around and that kind of thing so forgive me uh, on that okay Uh, moving on here I know it's hot there's water over here if you need it Um, but uh, let's let's get going here okay um, there this is a difficult doctrine. I actually, when I got this question about, man, God's love, I thought, man, what? A, that's actually, this is going to be an easy, like home run, nice walk in the park, just easy sermon. And then I, as I got into this, the, the doctrine of God's love is actually really difficult. Um, and I, it, I mean, it's like, no, dif, like difficult, like we talking, we're not talking like predestination or the problem of evil, we're like God's love. It's got to be simple, right? Well, um, I, um, I, I haven't read this book cover to cover, but this is by C.S. Lewis called The Four Loves, and um, it's just a tiny little book. But he, he starts out just in his like, introduction, uh, right, the, uh, the, the prologue that nobody actually reads. Um, he says this. He says, God is love, says St. John, or John in our gospel. God is love, says St. John. When I first tried to write this book, I thought that this maxim would provide me with my very plain higher high road uh, through the whole subject, I thought I should be able to say that human human loves deserve to be called loves at all, just insofar as they resemble the love which is God. Okay, so just saying that human beings can love the way that God is love. And if our love for anything else resembles that, then, then yes. And he says, the first distinction I made was therefore be between what I called gift love and need love. Right? Just, just freely giving of love and then saying, no, I actually need your love. A, way a, a small child would need uh, their parents. Right? And then he spends the whole book talking about that. Um, but then uh, just a couple paragraphs later, he says, the reality is far more complicated than I supposed. And so C.S. Lewis is saying, I'm just going to write this book about God's love. And then, wow, this is actually a difficult topic. And, and why is that? Well, I think there's a couple reasons, but when we look at just culture around us, and this is, I'm going to be, I'm going I'm, to, I'm, I can get kind of nerdy. So if you're not into movies, if you're, if you like reading books or whatever, that's fine. Okay. But I I like alien movies. Okay. Um So signs, Independence Day, I actually have never seen alien. I love the tagline on it though. That says in space, no one can hear you scream. It's like, except you can hear everyone scream in the movie. I'm guessing it's probably not just silent, but whatever. Um, and, and here's the thing. Here's my point with this, right? We have alien movies like, like these or like these, right? The Avengers movies, Contact, uh, if you've, you've seen that one, that's an old, that's an old one. Um, and then the new one, which is exactly the same thing, um, is Arrival. The more popular one where what happens? These aliens, these life forms actually come to the world, these higher beings, and they enlighten us, right? They, they help. They choose to help out humanity. And in alien movies, it's, it's why is it always one or the other? One is we're going to kill all of you. Another one's like, let's help you, right? There's no like middle ground other than E.T. Like what was the point of E.T. really if you think about it? I just some alien that made a best friend on earth. Like that was it. Um, kind of like Mac and Me. Any Mac and Me fans out there? No, okay. All right, we're going to move on. Um, but this is this is interesting, right? Because when we think of some higher power or something out there that even within the culture it says, well they they must be good. They must be all loving and all they really want to do is is help us deep down inside. And that's not exactly the case when we look at God. What culture and I think what what happens is that the love of God is viewed as if his other attributes attributes Don't exist. All right. That is only viewed as this unconditional, unchangeable love. Uh, right, scripture says, What what can separate us from the love of God? We just sang about the love of God. And all these things, man, you can't be plucked out of God's hand. He he loves you so much, right? But then we think that 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 love is just that's all God is, God is only love, and that's not what Scripture teaches. And so I want to look at five ways the Bible talks about. Love, and I'll and I'll try to go through these quickly, just for um, our sweat's sake. Um, it says that's the first point: uh, the way the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. So in John 3:35, says so the Father loves. This is the uh, the the word agape, which means unconditional, unrelenting, never stopping. As the Father loves the Son, and has placed everything in His hands. And then we also have in John 5:20. Um, for the father loves. This is phileo love. This is a brotherly love that they they like each other and they get along with each other. Um, The father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And then the verse that Emily read talking just the exact opposite. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the father for the father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say so much more to you for the prince of this world, Satan, the prince of this world is coming and he has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the father, right? I'm gonna leave this earth. I'm gonna ascend back to the father, why? So everybody will know that I love the father and do exactly what my father has commanded. There is something within the Trinity of the Godhead that is love, some unique kind of love that that I don't think, humanly speaking, we will ever fully understand. Um, I I have two little boys, uh, and I know I, I know that Henry. I think he's starting to learn what what the concept of love is. You know, of, of the, I, I say it to mom and dad a lot, but maybe I don't really get it. But as our kids get older. My kid, my children will never know how much I love their mom. They will never be able to appreciate that. Even if they get married and they love their wives, great. But they won't know how much I love my wife. They will never be able to comprehend that. I, that's just a, just a glimpse of what that relationship within the Trinity is. It's this intense love that they have. Number two, God's providential love over all that he has made. I'm gonna read a quote here from D.A. Carson on his book, Uh, on on the doctrine of the love of God. He says this, God creates everything, and before there's a whiff of sin, he pronounces all that he has made to be good. This is the product of a loving creator. The Lord Jesus depicts a world in which God clothes the grass, of the fields with the glory of wildflowers seen by no human beings, perhaps but seen by God. The lion roars and hauls down its prey, but it is God who feeds the animal. The birds of the air find food, but that is the result of God's loving providence, and not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from the sanction of the Almighty, as we are taught in Matthew 6. If this were not a benevolent providence, a loving providence, then the moral lesson that Jesus drives home in Matthew 6, that this God can be trusted to provide for his own people, would be incoherent. As Scripture teaches that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, that God loves and he has a love, his providential, sovereign love over all that he has made. So that's love. So we're talking about, well, God is love. Well, is it this Trinitarian love within who he is as he self-exists? Or is it love over all of his creation? Well, it's not just that. And we got to keep talking about this. Point three here is God's offer of salvation to the world. This is one other way that he loves. And I think that when people say, well, God is love, this is the point they're thinking about, that God just extends his offer of salvation to the whole whole world. We see this in John 3, 16, and 17. It says, for God so loved the world. And the the word here is, is cosmos. All right, you can't can't argue, okay, I'm a, if, if you care about labels, okay, I, I'm reformed. Uh, I believe in the predestination uh, of the saints and, the, and God's elect, but you cannot in any way, shape, or form in this verse try to say this word world only means some people who actually believe. It's not what it means. And I would say, though, that what we're talking about here, and John's point here is not saying like the bigness, the whole universe, God loved the whole universe that he gave his only son. That's true. He loved the universe, but it's not so much the bigness of the world as it is the badness of the world that we should really be amazed by this verse. For God so loved this wicked, sinful world and his image bearers in it that committed treason against him that he gave his one and only son for whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to extend eternal life. He could have just said, hey, I'm going to forgive you. We'll just try to make things right. You can go on being human. But, but he didn't have to do any of this. For God did not send his son into the world, into the cosmos, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Again, in Ezekiel 33, 10 and 11, it's a son of man. It's a, a, a phrase. It was actually Jesus' favorite term that he used of himself. Of talking about the Messiah. So, Messiah, Jesus, Son of Man, say to the Israelites, This is what you are saying. Our defenses and sins weigh us down, and we are wasting away because of them. How can we live? Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they will turn from their ways and live. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people? Of Israel. That there's nothing here that would say there's any inkling of the world that God does not love and all of the people within it. So, moving on, we see though aspects of God's selecting love for his elect. And I'm gonna go Old Testament here first and then we'll go into Ephesians. But he says this Yahweh did not set his affection on you, Israel an ethnic group, God did not set his affection on you, Israel, and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you are the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because Yahweh loved you and kept the oath. He swore with your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And again, Deuteronomy 10, and Yahweh, your God, belonged the heavens and even the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it. Yet Yahweh set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants above all other nations as it is today. This is a beautiful passage. Israel did absolutely nothing to be chosen. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did absolutely nothing to be chosen, to be loved by God and picked to be loved by God versus anybody else. But God extends that love in a different way than is in that John 3.16 kind of love. It's extended to the whole world. Um, We actually sing this, we we didn't sing it tonight, but the the lyrics are, uh, My author, good and true, is he who has at last his Israel freed from all their sin and sorrows. But as we sing that text, that we're not talking about ethnic Israel, we're talking about True Israel. We're talking about people who have put their faith in Christ, that He has freed us at last from all of our sins and sorrows. How do we know that? Well, Ephesians five makes this very clear. It Says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved who? The church. We're no longer talking about the whole world. i are not talking about um, uh, right. We're not talking about denominations and certain things and certain bodies. This is the whole church. money who has their faith put in Christ to forgive them of their sins, Jesus loves them specifically in a way that people that are outside of the church are not loved. As Christ loved the church and gave up himself for the church to make the church holy by cleansing the church, by washing her with the waters through the word and to present the church to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is only for people who believe. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but fed and cared for their own body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. But this is a profound mystery. I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church and only the church gets to have this kind of relationship with God. Finally, God's love towards his people can be conditional depending on their obedience. It says this in Jude 20, 21, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. Remain abide in God's love. In other words, there's something that you can do that would be not keeping within God's love or would not be abiding in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life. And then finally, John 15, where Jesus gets a little bit more specific of how to do that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. So how do I I remain in the love of Jesus? Well, I obey his commandments just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you that your joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. All right, so there's something here. There's something here with this idea of God's love for the people of his church that also is conditional, if you will, to say, I need to remain in God's love. But this is not salvific. My son, Henry, will always be my son, and I love him unconditionally. There's absolutely nothing my son could do or say that would make me stop loving him. But let me tell you, there are times I struggle, right? You're not obeying what I've told you to do. I'm not just telling you don't touch the stove, right, because I'm just being a jerk. I love you, and I don't want you to do that. And when you go and burn yourself, I still love you, but man, I don't. Because <laughs> you're an idiot. He's never, actually never done that. He's actually very good with this stuff. So I'm making that up. This isn't salvific though, right? This has nothing to do with my standing in Jesus. If I disobey his commandment, well, now, now I'm out, now I gotta get back in. It's not what he's saying. He's saying abide, remain in my love, obey my commandments. So then we can look at, The question again, maybe, so is God love? Yes. Is his love unconditional? It depends. Depends on who we're talking about. We're talking about the Trinity? Yes. We're talking about the world? Yeah. Does he love everyone the same? Again, it depends. It depends what kind of word and love and context that we're actually talking about. So I want to um, ask the question, right? And again, here it, is, here it is. How can a loving God send someone to hell? In other words, how does the love of God overlap with the wrath of God, okay? Because I think we're, we're there, see it from scripture. God has the ability to love in different ways that I don't fully comprehend, but, but he's, he's God. And I know the Bible is trustworthy and true. So I'm going to take it at face value. And it seems like there's these different ways of love. So if that's who God is, and he does love the whole world, then how can he send somebody to hell? And I think really what this question is getting at is how does the love of God overlap with the wrath of God? Uh, Or another way would be, how does the love of God overlap with the holiness of God? D.A. Carson, again, says this. He says, wrath, unlike love, is not one of the intrinsic perfections of God. (laughs) What that means, I think, no, what it means is intrinsic perfections are the attributes of God, who he is, right? That God is omnipotent, right? He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He can be everywhere at, at all times, right? That, that's who he is. He's immutable, unmovable, and unchangeable, and he is love, and he is holy, and he is uh, kind and gracious and gentle. That's, that's who he is, okay? So what he's saying is wrath, unlike love, love is one of these intrinsic Perfections, one of these attributes of God. He says, rather, this wrath is a function of God's holiness against sin. Where there is no sin, there is no wrath, right? God is love. God is holy. God is not wrath. That's what he's saying. But there will always be love in God. There will always be love in God. He cannot not love, even When his wrath is being poured out, there is love, and it's hard to wrap our minds around that. Where God in his holiness confronts his image bearers in their rebellion, there must be wrath, or God is not the jealous God he claims to be, and his holiness is impunched. The price of diluting God's wrath is diminishing God's holiness. If all we do is say, man, God is love, and this whole idea of of this wrathful God of the Bible, especially as we read the Old Testament and and all these different things going on, I I don't fully understand it. There's a reason that he has to punish sin, and it's because of his holiness. We can't say God is love and he's not holy. His name is holy. There's a reason why, and I argue this, and I've said this before, that I believe that, that God's love is holy love right, that his justice is a holy justice, that his spirit is a holy spirit. We don't call the spirit a loving spirit, God's loving spirit. It's his holy spirit. It makes up who he is, and he cannot stop being holy. And so when we say, well, loving and sending somebody to hell doesn't seem very loving, we don't understand God. We don't understand his holiness, his unapproachable, ineffable light, where dead men or men look upon him, and as they gaze upon just his glory, as we talked about Moses in the cleft of the rock, that that Moses just looked at where uh, God once was. He looked at the afterburners, and it makes his face shine because you can't touch the glory, you can't see the glory because he's holy. That's who he is, and so we need both the love and the holiness of God. And so we can say this, that where there is sin, there is wrath, period. There has to be, there has to be wrath. There has to be a punishment for sin, period. But what we see about the God of the Bible is that where there is sin, there is also love. There's also love extended to anybody who would believe that Jesus Christ, as he's nailed to the cross, And this heinous act of murdering the son and child of God, God himself in the flesh, as this act is going on, and there must be punishment for sin, there must be wrath, that a loving God says, I'm not going to punish the people who deserve to be punished. I will punish my son instead. I may have shared this before. This is my, my, my testimony when I got saved. My dad was a pastor and and um, the little little church in Bloomington, Illinois, and um, my, uh, my dad was telling this story and, and, and he used me as a, his illustration. And time if you, if you grew up in the church, if like you know the pastor like calls you out by name, it's like, eh, what do I do right? Um, uh, just like school, you know it's like, John, it's like,, uh, I didn't hear the question. Um, is that what you, Did you do that a lot? Yeah um, So my dad is giving this illustration, and he said um, he said if, if, if an individual, were to, uh, uh, God forbid, right, throw, throw a grenade in the middle of, of this, this auditorium. He said, I would not uh, grab my son, Brian, and throw him on the grenade to save all of you. He's like, I wouldn't do it. He said, but, he's like, the first thing I would do is go grab my son, and I would be the first one out the window with my son, right? That, he said, but that's, that's exactly the opposite of what God did, right? He takes his own son, and he puts them on the cross because there needs to be punishment for sin and says, that's the punishment, that's the wrath, and I'm gonna pour it out on my own son because I love my creation and I want them to love me back. We sing this song, Beautiful, Scandalous Night, and I just want you to think of the dichotomy here between the father and the son of justice, of wrath, of punishment and then freedom that we have in the blood of Jesus. Go on up to the mountain of mercy, to the crimson perpetual tide, kneel down on the shore, be thirsty no more, go under and be purified. Go under the bleeding body of Jesus. Follow Christ to the holy mountain, sinners sorry and wrecked by the fall. Cleanse your heart and your soul in the fountain that flows for you and for me and for all. At the wonderful, tragic, mysterious tree. On that beautiful, scandalous night, you and me were atoned by his blood and forever washed white on that beautiful, scandalous night. And the last verse here, you carry the sin of mankind on your back and the sky went black. As God's pouring out his wrath, everything goes back to the beginning and is chaotic. As God's wrath is being poured out, and again, going up to the mountain of mercy, go to the crimson perpetual tide, kneel down to the shore, be thirsty no more, go under and be purified. We can think this, maybe some of you do, and I know I've struggled with this, right? I'm cool with Jesus, but not God. I struggle with a loving God. How can there be sin in the world? How can there be any of this? if He's, he's just full of wrath, but we can't do this. We can't be cool with one and the other. Again, we're not going to get into the Trinitarian debate of they are the same, but they are. We have to say that God the Father, as a loving Father who loves his Son and willingly says, Jesus, I want you to suffer because I love them. He sent them. As Jesus is praying and he says, God, is there any other way? Do I have to die a bloody death on this cross? Let this cup pass over me but not my will be done, but your will be done. And God's will was that Jesus would die for our sins because he loves us. We cannot separate the two. God loved you so much that he chose to pour out his wrath on Jesus if you have faith in who his son was and is. What God had the right to do is pour out his just wrath on us, not his Son. Finally, I want to end with this quote by C.S. Lewis. Just love how he words this. Think about God the Father. God, who needs nothing, loves into existence holy, superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. He creates the universe, already foreseeing the buzzing cloud of flies about the cross. The flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the mesal nerves. I don't know what that is, but it sounds painful. The repeated, incipient suffocation as the body droops, and then repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time, for breath's sake, hitched up. If I may dare, the biological image God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites, causes us to be, that we may exploit and take advantage of him. Herein is love. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. And say, I don't understand the problem, I don't understand where evil came from, I don't understand why the world is like this, but what I do know, what I can believe on is Jesus. And I can believe in this because it's exactly what the Bible teaches. When I was uh, in uh, college, I went to a, a really conservative uh, Christian school for a while, um, and and every once in a while, the president of our university he would he would come up and he would say uh, the most sobering thought in the world today, and then you know all seven thousand of us would say is that people are dying and going to hell today, right? Like woohoo! Let's like yeah. <laughs> It's great. It is sobering. But honestly, God could have just said, you're all going to go to hell. He could have done that. And so maybe it's not sobering, but maybe it's, it's reflective of, of, and especially before we take these elements of the most incredible thought in the world is that I'm not going to hell someday. That is sobering. Because he loves and he gave himself in love for me. So, gospel application God loves you. You may not feel it right now. You may not feel it sometimes. You may not understand. How how can this be? I'm telling you right now because of what the scripture teaches that God is love and he sent his son to die for you, that God himself set his life aside for you. And at the same time, God is holy. His name is holy. You can just refer to him as holy. It's who he is, and we cannot separate those two aspects. How can a loving God send somebody to hell? Because he's holy, and sin can have no part of what he is, and that is why only God himself could save us. We're going to take these elements in just a minute and just look at the blood of Christ this juice that's representative of the blood of Christ that was shed for our sins, that paragraph of C.S. Lewis, just this bloody image, this horrific image. It's where we get our word that's, that's excruciating pain. It's, it's crucifixion. It's what Jesus went through, and that's what these elements represent as we remember what Christ did for us with the body, with his body represented with the bread and the juice representing his blood that as he instituted this sacrificial meal for us, that we could come as a community, as a body, as the church, and be loved and being perfected, being made holy in his name and through community and sanctification with one another, that we would partake of these elements. And so you don't have to be a member of this church, any church. Just ask that you'd be a follower of Jesus. And maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've struggled with the wrath of God. Maybe you've struggled with, I don't really know if God loves me. Maybe tonight could be your first time having communion with us. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I thank you for your love. I I can't even begin to fathom now as a father sacrificing my son for somebody else. I can't even, I don't even want to go there. But God, you did that because you knew Jesus was worthy to be the lamb that was slain and receive all the power and honor and wealth and glory forever and ever. And so God, someday we're gonna see you. We're gonna see your son face to face. And we will bow down as we get a, just a glimpse of your holiness. And then we will open our mouths and worship because you love us and you will always love us for all of eternity. And so, God, well now as we take these elements, as we reflect, as we confess sins, corporate and individual, as we, as we lift up our voices and sing and praise and pray, that, God, you would receive the honor and the glory for you are the only one who is worthy of our praise as your image bearers. And it's in Christ's name that we are even able to approach and pray to a holy father. Amen.